Hello, what a day. Once again, very nice hearing Alex on the radio. Those sweet dulcet tones and all of the things that happened this morning. It was a jam-packed show. She had Elizabeth Throws on. She played a bazillion good songs and had the guys from Headspace in. Definitely worth checking out what they're doing. And uh, actually, you might be tuned in now because you like hearing music, you can't hear on other stations, or you might be you know, tuned in because you like learning about your city, or you may really want to hear this show, which is coming up out of the box, where you get to meet people through their music. I'm your host, Ash Berdebez. But you know, we really try at FBI to give you the good stuff every week and more of it. But the thing is, without your help, we can't do all of this. So I do urge you to consider putting a few crowns a month towards this fine station. And that way we can keep doing cool things. And uh, if you want to support the station, now is actually the best time to do it. So uh, check it out. If you join us as a supporter before tomorrow, you go in the running to win a jam-packed UK holiday for you and a mate. And so it's all part of Fly FBI. So check out FBI Radio dot com forward slash fbi and all the dates are on our website so you could be sent to best of all with a bud and all the other things and so it starts from as little as five dollars a month if you're on a concession or ten dollars if you're concessionless so either way that's less than a coffee a week and it's way more nourishing um so today on the show our guest on out of the box doesn't mind a story that makes western sydney look bad so long as it's honest and complex. Michael Mohammed Ahmad is the director of Sweatshop. Sweatshop is a Western Sydney literacy movement that wants Western Sydney siders to write their own stories. He was chief editor of Westside Publication for seven years and his stories have appeared in The Guardian, in Heat, Seizure and in the lovely Lifted Brow. So he's been an actor, but it seems to have taken a backseat to his debut book, The Tribe, which is out now. And it's lovely to have you on the show. Hi. Um, so how was it putting the music together? Did you did you find it easy? Well, I'm not a musical person, uh, not in the way most people would describe themselves as musical. Um, or, you know, I don't claim to have a special connection with music or a spiritual connection. I don't make music. I don't pretend I can sing. And so, um, I, uh, to be honest, I, I treated this almost the way I treat my work. I, I engaged it in it. Uh, slightly academically and I collected a music that I thought contributed to the uh, socio-political development of uh, of the Australian condition, particularly for marginalised communities. So perhaps quite fittingly, we've got a bit of Tupac coming up throughout the show and the first song we've got is Changes. So what makes Changes an important song? Well, m- more broadly, uh, uh, why I selected uh, Tupac is because he... Um, uh, still to the, till this day, I mean, he's been he's been dead for something like twenty years now. But uh, still to today, he is uh, by far the the most influential, or at least one of the most influential hip hop artists that ever lived. And I think he spoke uh, particularly loudly to marginalized communities, um, people who were feeling uh, rejected or outside the the dominant culture in their societies. And I selected uh, Changes as the first song for us to listen to because 
it was by far his most mainstream song and um, is a song that most people you know identify and relate to uh, at least one way or another because I think we all at some point believe that there's something wrong with the, 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 the state of the world and believe that there needs to be some kind of change. It's quite general, but it's also quite specific. I mean, it's quite specific to the experiences of young black men in the US. It's definitely specific to the to the experiences of uh, African-American um, young males in the United States of America. But, but that specificity can easily be translated over to similarly marginalised and stigmatised groups in other parts of the world. So um, for me, the... Uh, the work of Tupac spoke very loudly to the experience of Arab Australian Muslim men, particularly um, since the years 2000 onwards, after a string of uh, gang rapes that took place, after the 2001 9/11 attacks on New York City, after the Cronulla riots, and uh, mm. and uh, all these kind of media reports we always saw of drive-by shootings and um, uh, you know drug dealings, and so I think as a, as a result of that Arab Australian. Uh, Muslim men from the western suburbs of Sydney began to identify very strongly with the the feeling that they were being stigmatized and demonized as part of a um, a media and political machine. So I think those kinds of experiences translate almost identically um, with songs like Changes. FBI. Change? Shit. I guess change is good for any of us. Whatever it takes for any of y'all niggas to get up out the hood. Shit, I'm with you. I ain't mad at you. Got nothing but love for you. Do you think, boy? Yeah. I hit go on the wrong track because I'm a damn fool. There you go. An FBI. You got it now. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah. Come on, come on. I see no changes. Wake up in the morning and I ask myself. Should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor and even worse, I'm black. My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. Cops give a damn about a Negro. Pull a trigger, kill a nigga, he's a hero. Get it back to the kids, who the hell cares? One less hungry mouth on the welfare. First ship him, don't let him deal with brothers. Give him guns, step back, watch them kill each other. It's time to fight back, that's what Huey said. Two shots in the dark, now Huey's dead. I got love for my brothers, but we can never go nowhere unless we share with each other. We gotta start making changes. Learn to see me as a Two distant strangers, and that's how I was supposed to be. I can never take my brother if he's close to me. Uh, I let it go back to when we played as kids, but then it changed. That's the way it is. Come on, come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. Changes. All I see is racist faces. Misplaced hate makes disgrace to racist. We under. I wonder what it takes to make this one better place. Let's erase the waste. It. Take the evil out the people. They'll be acting right. Cause both black and white and smoke a crack tonight. And the only time we chill is when we kill each other. It takes guilt to be real time to heal each other. And although it seems evident, we ain't ready to see a black president. Uh, it ain't a secret or concealed a fact. A penitentiary's packed and it's filled with blacks. 
but some things will never change. Try to show another way, but you're staying in the dope game. Now tell me what's a mother to do? Being real, don't appeal to the brother in you. You gotta operate the easy way. I made a G today. But you made it in a sleazy way. Sell it back to the kids. I gotta get paid. But hey, well, that's the way it is. Come on, come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. Come on, come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. We gotta make a change. To start making some changes Let's change the way we eat Let's change the way we live And let's change the way we treat each other You see the old way wasn't working So it's on us to do what we gotta do To survive And still I see no changes Can a brother get a little peace It's war on the streets and a war in the Middle East Instead of war on poverty They got a war on drugs so the police can bother me And I ain't never did a crime I ain't have to do But now I'm back with the blocks Giving it back to you Don't let them jack you up Back you up And pips back you up. You gotta learn to hold your own. They get jealous when they see you with your mobile phone. But tell the cops I can't touch this. I don't trust this when they try to rush. I bust this. That's the sound number two. You say it ain't cool. But mama didn't raise no fool. And as long as I stay black, I gotta stay strapped. And I never get to lay back. Cause I always gotta worry about the payback. Some buck that I roughed up way back. Coming back after all these years. Right, tat, 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 tat. That's the way it is. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. You're my brother, you're my sister. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. Something's never change. On FBI 94.5, don't have a lot of Tupac on the radio these days, but that was a track called Changes, brought in by my guest today, Michael Muhammad Ahmad, who, I mean, you have two first names in your name. Could you explain why you have two first names? Well, um, my name legally is, is Michael. Um, so if you look at my birth certificate or my license, it would say Michael. But in Arabic, my name is Muhammad, which is after the Prophet um, Muhammad. And so growing up in Alexandria, which is uh, where we are right now, actually, uh, for the first 10 years of my life, my parents were afraid that I would experience some kind of racism for having a you know traditional uh, Muslim name, which isn't common around here. So they instinctively thought that Muhammad would translate better as Michael in this area. But then when I moved to Lakemba, um, after, after year three, actually, uh, I, I, experienced, I experienced a kind of reversal here. So my um, my peers at a school that was predominantly Muslim and predominantly uh, children of Arab backgrounds, uh, their reaction to the name Michael was that I must have been ashamed of my Muslim and Arab identity, which to some extent was true. And so um, as, I, as I got older, I, I began to move strategically between both names, uh, identifying as Muhammad in some communities mm. and Michael in others. So can you give us an example of when would be a good time to identify as Michael rather than Muhammad? Well, I think right now uh, it's always 
best for my friends and I'd like to think that anyone that's listening and um, you, Ash, are my friends. So please call me Mohammed mm-hmm. on a one-on-one um, and, you know, in a, in a uh, natural interaction. But professionally, I identify with both names, Michael and Mohammed, because uh, politically, I think it recognizes that... Uh, for me, like with many Australians, identity is a complex and uh, difficult matter, which uh, still we have to do some work on. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, with with the name Michael, there was that kind of, you know, experiment that these people did where they had the exact same resume, but they sent it out with, you know, two different names. One was obviously, you know, not a white Anglo name and one was and they had completely different results. Was that part of the reason? Was it like an opportunity thing at, a, at any point for you? It was never an opportunity thing for me personally. I never uh, I never took any self-determination with my name. My parents named me Michael uh, in English, uh, Mohammed in Arabic growing up in Lakemba. The community at large felt that it was really important that I identified as Mohammed because that's uh, that's uh, originally what my parents wanted for me. Um, and I think for me, growing up, I felt that rather than it being about the way I identify, it was interesting to see the way people were identifying with me. Mm-hmm. And so in some cases, I'm, I've met people who refuse to call me Mohammed. They want to they go out of their way to identify me as Michael. And then there's others who, I, who refuse to identify me as Michael, they they are adamant that I should only ever be called Muhammad, and I think that um, it is representative of the forms of discrimination we still have in our society when it when it comes to something like going and and, and applying for a job and what name you put on your resume. But for me, this is actually my work. This is how I make a living. So I feel like I'm slightly outside of that yeah. discourse. Lucky, I guess I've never had to actually navigate that situation. I mean, maybe it's political getting rid of the Lee and Ashley by making it a little bit more hard to tell the gender when you read it on paper. I mean, you thought that I was going to be a guy today when you showed up. When I, when I, when I, because we've been corresponding <laughs> through email for the last uh, couple of weeks, setting this interview up, and um, uh, I, I, I certainly made the assumption that you're a man. Uh, the irony, <laughs> the irony, of course, is that I um, was pretty happy to see that you weren't because. Uh, sorry to anyone out there, any men out there named Ash, but I don't really like uh, guys <laughs> named Ash um, because of uh, because I, I don't know. I associate it. Time with I don't know. I associate it somehow with uh, with some with a smoky kind of guy, you know. Um, and um, <laughs> it has and a certain flavour, I guess. Kind of refreshing, and um, it was also important for me. Uh, it was challenging for me to actually rec- <laughs> I, I realize that it it's uh, a name that. Um, that yeah. can be very well suited to uh, a woman as much as a man. Yeah. So my guest on Out of the Box today is Michael Muhammad Ahmad, who I'm going to call Muhammad, and he's a director of Sweatshop, a Western Sydney literacy movement. But you're also you're a Lebanese-Australian, so you're Muslim, but Alawite. Now, Alawite's not a word you hear a lot bandied around the media. You know, usually when we say that someone, you know, isn't Christian or is of any religion, we say that, you know, they are Muslim and we don't differentiate. But I think it might be interesting to differentiate. What What is Alawite and how is it different to a Muslim majority? Because it is a minority, isn't it? Uh, this is an extremely uh, complicated question. <laughs> yeah. because, I just opened um, up a can because, of worms. Uh, well, I'll try to be really concise with my answer. But um, basically, I think what you're identifying is... The, the, the complexity of uh, of people's identities. And uh, very rarely has the Fox News uh, narrative 
uh, been uh, in any way useful or uh, accurate when representing a particular group. The um, the reality is that while we assume most um, most Muslims are Arab, the majority of um, Muslims around the world are not Arabs. They uh, come from um, from uh, all over the world. Uh, and uh, while we assume that all Arabs are Muslim, uh, there are actually millions and millions of Arabs or people from Arab background who I, who identify with the Christian religion. And so we already have that really broad uh, stereotypical image. And then in addition to that, even if you are an Arab or a Muslim, um, there are so many different branches and sects within those communities that very rarely doesn't make any sense to actually refer to somebody as, as a Muslim. I think mm-hmm. that's been a, a particular political agenda. Definitely. Do you think it's a bit more, you know, the difference between sects of Muslim, uh, you know, Muslim different branches? Is it more various than, say, if you would go Anglican, Baptist, blah blah blah, in terms of the Christian church? Is is the variety wider? It's it's certainly um, uh, as wide, and in some cases wider. But I think more importantly, what we what we need to recognise is that even within um, Catholic communities, for example, uh, in the in the Christian religion, uh, there isn't just one Catholic community. There are there are many many types of Catholic communities. A Catholic uh, community in 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 the western suburbs of Sydney would be fundamentally different to a Catholic community in the North Shore. And this is just in one particular city in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, it's, it's, it's very rare that it, that, that it makes any sense to be talking about the Lebanese community or the Muslim community or the Arab community. Mm. Uh, what we need to be doing is talking about the uh, uh, communities. So and, plural. Yeah, yeah. Pluralize the sense of identity that people have. I identify as an Arab Australian Muslim Alawite from Western Sydney. And that's a very specific identity that is very different to um, a, 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 a Lebanese Muslim Alawite living in Lebanon. Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't there only like one one hundred thousand to two hundred thousand Alawite Muslims in Lebanon anyway? Like, it's not the, it's not a huge majority so, even there. My particular mi- minority group uh, is a very small sect. The only reason why they have any um, uh, public um, yeah, if, if the only reason they're noted is because well, of it, Bashar al-Assad, I'm assuming you're going to say. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to say that the uh, the the current leadership of Syria uh, happens to be um, um, uh, an Alawite leadership. Uh, at least the head of state is an Alawite and his father before mm. him. And so that's why the Alawite community has uh, attracted some public attention in, in recent years. But separate to that, uh, Alawites are largely an invisible sect and they get they they like uh, like Shiites and Sunnis and the variations in, in Shiism and Sunnism get swept up into this mass uh, media campaign, which is just about positioning all Muslims as the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I've noticed that. But um, so then how are Alawites different to Sunni and Shiites? Um. Well, uh, again, it's a it's a complex discussion. Yeah, that, in, in that a lot was of ways, probably too big a question. In, in a lot but... of ways, I would be more inclined to talk about our similarities because, mm-hmm. uh, for for um for us uh, for uh, for me talking to a largely non-Muslim audience, talking about those differences might be really important to understand the the um the nuances between communities. But for me, as an as a Muslim, there's been so much division, so much anger, so much uh, hatred and war between these Muslim sects, largely because of imperialist uh, capitalist patriarchy, which which uh, often is moving in and, 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 and destroying the homes of these yeah. particular communities. I'd be more inclined to talk about the similarities that Alawites, Shiites and Sunnis have with each other. It's interesting because, I mean, there's like a tension. I don't know if it's a real tension there in what you say because you're like, we, we talk about all these sects, but they should all be the same thing. But then you you would complain about 
you know, everyone identifying Muslims as a whole when there's so much variety within them. Is that a tension in your mind? Well, it's. I mean, the tension is very clear for me, uh, and I, I was, uh, I was uh, alluding to this earlier. Is that uh, on the one hand, you want to talk about the complexity of these communities and how uh, it's it's not never helpful to create a, a Fox News type of narrative about um, about 1.5 billion people. But on the Especially other hand, it's negative. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, you know, uh, I, I I'll agree with that. Um, but also uh, for me, as a, a Muslim, being inside a community where where Muslims are actually constantly being positioned against each other and they're constantly mm. set up to be warring with each other for the very limited resources that are being taken from them. I, I, I have set myself up never to really talk about my differences from my Sunni and Shiite brothers and more and sisters and more so I'm likely to talk about how how we are similar in, in, in many ways for for our own peace uh, amongst ourselves. All right. We've got a track to take actually from someone called Matuzi Enkazi. So... Salam. What does that mean? Well, the word salam um, is an Arabic word, an ancient Arabic word. It means peace. And um, saying salam alaikum is uh, specifically a, a Muslim uh, phrase. But, but uh, of course, uh, many Arab Christians will use this phrase and many Arab speaking people will use this phrase. It means peace be upon you. It's a traditional way of Muslims uh, greeting each other and farewelling each other. And um, th this particular song is uh, sung by uh, local uh, rappers, local to me, a um, uh, um, uh, local rapper named Matus and um, a colleague of his named uh, Kazi. And uh, I'm really interested in the way Arab Australian Muslim men uh, identify so strongly with the black struggle. So you'll see so much of uh, uh, Tupac's music um, being uh, being a... a uh, a, a clear type of influence that these young men have taken for their music, and uh, similarly, they speak. They 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 have a very unique Arab Australian Western Sydney style of appropriating that type of black hip hop. And there's no shame in this. Uh, you know, I've spoken to the to the to the musicians who have made this music, and they're very comfortable talking about the influences that they've taken from African American hip hop. It's not a one way influence, though. I guess so. It's not. No, and I think in the in the, the uh, coming tracks that we'll we'll hear, uh, I'll be able to show how while Arab Australian Muslim men can identify very strongly with the African American hip hop movement, we'll also see how African American hip hop has been able to take from the um, from the Arab and Muslim tradition, and so we see an active type of cultural exchange uh, uh, unfolding between these two communities that identify as marginalised in similar ways and in unique ways as well. On FBI ninety four point five, Salam alaikum. It's Matuzi oh, yeah. and Kazi. In the name of the most gracious, most merciful. Everything I do is a work for you. My flaws are my flaws, but my virtues are yours. Sincerely yours. <laughs> it's Matuzi and Kazi, baby. In a world trying to make them, dollar trying to break them, don't let the devil try and take them. Salamu alaikum. Yeah, Salamu alaikum. The world changed just to world trade. Now they're looking at me strange because of my race and my Arab name. Having came from the pain of my people. In a world where I'm not treated equal. At a point that feeling was lethal. One in the chamber, teenage anger. Ain't nobody really understood what I was going through. Feeling all the pain and the stress I'll be showing you so you knew. But if you didn't, then you never got it. Some say that I lost my way, but I found it. 
surrounded by those that are dotted. Me off the game, homie, but I'm back and trotted. Over all of they lies, you surprised that I made it where I kept my faith in the sky. I'm looking for a label that really isn't able to allow me to show you my vision like it was cable. I break through artists, spit it from my soul. I'm never stopping, I'm finna get control. Creative response every time I bomb, and I keep my faith in the Psalms and the Quran. Holla at and feel the vibe too And realize exactly what the live do Cause the rest of these rappers is zombies And ain't nobody stomp me Holla at me if you feel, feel, feel. Moments of pain Stress with a pinnacle I'm trying to maintain Like canvas Paintbrush Call me Van Gogh Deep inside of my soul Visualize flows In the world trying to make them Dollar trying to break them Don't let the devil try and take them Trying to make them, dollar trying to break them. Don't let the devil try and take them. My life as a sacrifice, Bohemian Grove. Let him understand what it is when I flow from the bottom of my soul. Used to look up to Hove, now it's only one God that I look up to. So I ain't trying to sell my soul to get a record deal. I peep the record out and let them know this really real. Me and Kaiser united, we freedom fighters. We spit the truth from the soul, so we ignited the light. Let them see it for themselves, cause we trapped in the hell. G coded the matrix, might as well. The one dollar bill shows what's concealed But I'ma still build for all my people that were going through the daily struggle Number one decision is remain humble No matter what God puts in front of you He only does it just to show you the growth in you That's the reason why I say peace For the moment that I die or be deceased Cause I've been dead before but now I'm breathing Cause I found life in believing Now I'm really never leaving Trying to maintain, teaching no deceivers Cause they don't really know what's the truth Cause they blinded, they ain't praying to Jesus They're praying to a cypress Lifeless, so we might just give them the real peace Baby, so we can see truth if you see What it really truly means So inherit the earth, cause we've been working of the weak Of the meek, of the meek On the streets, on the block, on the block What's good, I Makes a lot, pace a car to keep it moving A part of the music, but the truth is revolution In the world trying to make them Dollar trying to break them Don't let the devil try and take them Salamu alaikum, salamu alaikum In a world trying to make them, dollar trying to break them Don't let the devil try and take them Salamu alaikum, salamu alaikum Change? Shit. I guess change is good for any of us. Whatever it takes for any of y'all niggas to get up out the hood. Shit, I'm with you. I ain't mad at you. Got nothing but love for you. Do you think, boy? Yeah. All the homies that I ain't talked to in a while. I'ma send this one out for y'all. Know what I mean? Cause I ain't mad at you. Heard y'all tearing up shit out there. Kicking up dust, giving a motherfuck. <laughs> yeah, niggas. Cause I ain't mad at you. Now we was once two niggas of the same kind. Quick to holler at a hoochie with the same line. You was just a little smaller, but you still rolled. Got stressed to buy A and hit the hood swole. Remember when you had a Jerry Curl? Didn't quite learn. On the block with your Glock, tripping off Sherm. Collect calls to the tilt, saying how you changed. Oh, you a Muslim now, no more dope game. Heard you might be coming home, just got bail. Wanna go to the mosque, don't wanna chase tail. It seems I lost my little homie, he's a changed man. Hit the pin and now no sending is the game plan. When I talk about 
bullshitting. I know we do a part. You probably don't remember. I used to think for your sister, but never went a bender. And I can see us after school. We bomb on the first motherfucking with the wrong shit on. Now the whole shit's changed. And we don't even kick it. Got a big money scheme. And you ain't even with it. <laughs> Knew in my heart you was the same motherfucker bad. Go toe to toe when it's time for growth. You got a promise back. And I can't even trip. Cause I'm just laughing at you. You trying hard to maintain. Then go ahead. Cause I ain't mad at you. It's Tupac on FBI 94.5. And I should mention that we are in the middle of Fly FBI. And if you are a fan of the station and you like what we do and you want to help us keep doing it, now is the time to sign up as a supporter. So go on to our website, which is fbiradio.com, and then go forward slash Fly FBI. And if you sign up to be a supporter, you can also go in the running 
to do amazing things, aka fly over to the UK with your friend and go to Bestival, which is a four-day festival, and you know, Fortet's doing a DJ set there, Jungle are playing, this is just off the top of my head, FKA Twigs, very good people all across the bill, a hell of a time, and yeah, you could be in it to win it, and uh Anyway, I mean, it's always a good idea to support FBI because, you know, when we are when we have an album sitting in front of us and we, you know, you want to have that album for your very own, you can be the one that calls up and says, hey, I'm a supporter, I would like that album, or I would like those concert tickets, or I would like to go to that event. And you can't do that if you're not a supporter. So please do be that wonderful person to sign up as a supporter, fbiradio.com forward slash fly FBI. And you just heard a bit of Tupac. And we, we heard a bit more at the top of the hour, but this one has a, a bit of a different meaning for our guest today on Out of the Box, who is Michael Muhammad Ahmad, and it's called I Ain't Mad At Ya. Um, well, the song we heard before that, which hopefully uh, the listeners have heard, as, got to hear before I Ain't Mad At Ya, is by a, a local Bankstown musician named Matus. And um, if you met Matus, you know, so much of his demeanor, his personality, his character, his persona, uh, physically as well as his um, his uh, personality traits are, are quite uh, similar to the, uh, the stereotype that you would imagine of an African-American hip-hop artist. And there's no denying that Arab-Australian um, musicians have drawn and taken a lot of influence from African-American hip-hop and, um, and rap music. But I think the reason why I ain't mad at you is so such an important song to me by Tupac is because it looks at, in many ways, uh, the the reverse of that particular type of appropriation that Arab Australians are making. So in in this song, uh, Tupac's song, uh, he's singing about a friend of his who has walked out on the you know uh, glamorized ghetto thug life, um, you know, drugs, violence, um, <clears throat> hustling. Uh, and and largely that this this friend of Tupac's that is singing about um, his changes, the, the radical changes he's made in his life have been spawned by converting to Islam. And so he talks about how his friend has walked out of this ghetto lifestyle and is now a, a practicing Muslim. And that's actually quite a common uh, trope in African-American uh, popular but culture. Why, why is that a trope, I wonder? Why do a lot of African-American hip-hop artists end up, end up trend, uh, changing over to Islam? Well, uh, the conversions, a lot of the conversions happen in, in jail. That's certainly the case in the song that Tupac's singing um, uh, about. That's the, that's the case. And certainly the most famous example of a radical um, bl- uh, black Muslim converting to Islam uh, in jail is the story of Malcolm X. And I think that there are many examples, but Islam largely uh, speaks to marginalized communities who are resisting uh, forms of white capitalism and white Christianity, which were largely about constructing the image of God as as, as white, uh, famous European images of Jesus as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white-skinned man, I think was a very clever way for um, for artists to, um, to construct an image of God that left out a large population of the people of the world. And so many black radicals were converting to Islam as a, as a resistance to that. Uh, because Islam forbids the construction of uh, of prophets, uh, images well, the, of yeah, the, the prophets. Yeah, the drawing of the prophet. And, yeah. so, um, and so you can mm-hmm. reimagine uh, Jesus and the Prophet Muhammad and, and all the prophets as um, as human beings who who were either exempt of race or more likely that's, to be of the really racial background. Because I didn't, I didn't actually immediately think that would be the reason that you forbid depicting the prophet. But 
that makes perfect well, sense that you you have to de- make choices and omissions in your depiction and it could be a racial omission and you don't want that well it's a racial omission it's also a, a, a gender a gender omission yeah, it's, a, it's an omission of sexuality it's an omission of class and so mm. you know there's a real stigma around uh why muslims aren't allowed to represent the prophet and it's it's been a prop, the idea has been propagated that Muslims are just opposed to freedom, but I think it's a really extremely empowering the idea that you don't construct God um, and God's prophets in a particular way, which marginalizes particular communities. Yeah, and you do see that when people do attempt to you know depict the prophet, and you know, for example, in the Charlie Hebdo example, they just pick something that you know is like copy paste Osama bin Laden's face onto like a, a cartoon body type thing and well, that's how they that's how they render well i think prophet. the charlie abdu um uh, pictures of the prophet are a really good example of how the prophet's image can be used very effectively pro- for propaganda i mean he was holding a sign saying i am charlie abdu so he was uh, he became a machine for a um a, a white supremacist capitalist patriarchal idea and um, and I think the the forbidding of the representations of the prophet are largely empowering for people who are who are outside of that uh, propaganda tool. But the uh, so so we see a common trope of African Americans converting to Islam, and and they also in that process because Islam is so embedded in the Arab tradition, they have to a lot of those African Americans learn Arabic, they adopt traditional Arab clothing, they uh, adopt traditional. Uh, Arab appearances, growing a Muslim beard. They they travel to the Middle East. Uh, they they do pilgrimages to Mecca, and so what we what we see is an active cultural exchange between um, Arab Australians who are identifying very strongly with the African American struggle, and then in reverse, we're seeing African Americans before that was happening adopting the Muslim tradition and the and the Arab traditions for their struggle. And, um, and that's why so many of the famous African-American hip-hop artists actually are Muslims. And the, the majority of them in the beginning of the hip-hop movement uh, were, were, were converting to Islam. So we're talking about people like Ice Cube and Mos Def. And then obviously Tupac had never converted to Islam, but he, he was very heavily connected with, um, with Muslim peers who he, who he said um, he was very proud to see them get out of their, um, their, their disadvantages and their oppression mm. uh, through adopting th- these particular values and these beliefs. So we've got a track to play from, I'm, I'm very happy to say, Sam Cooke, who I adore. So why did you bring in A Change Is Gonna Come? What, what about this song well, sticks with you? I, I, I think the, the, there's two reasons. Firstly, the problem with, um, with the hip-hop struggle is that while I'm talking about the very empowering elements of it. Uh, largely, hip-hop is, uh, uh, reinforces stereotypes about um, African-American communities. It's, um, it's, uh, much of it is about, um, is about capitalism. A lot of it is about misogyny, patriarchy, sexism towards, to, specifically, we're talking yeah, about we're talking, the attitude yeah. towards women. And the guns and drugs idea of you yeah, know, that's so, how it should and be. And so that re, mm-hmm. largely, and a lot of cultural theorists talk about how that reinforces the stereotypes and status quo concerning uh, young African-American men. And Tupac was against that. He, he actually, I mean, there was an interview that he did with a Swedish um, interviewer before he died, just not, not very long before he died, and he was speaking out against that. And I, I know that Kendrick Lamar, in his new album, he has a bit of that interview actually spliced in there. And yeah, it's it's very much that it was kind of like don't let this be the way that music keeps going. You know, it's like most, reinventing the way that you actually sing about each other and your absolutely culture. in most um, of his music um, that would be the case. But there are of course exceptions. I mean, in uh, I ain't mad at ya. He, he uses the term motherfucker quite a lot, and I think that's a really good example of just normalized misogynistic language. Um, and 
uh, what uh, theorists like Bell Hooks, an important African-American theorist, uh, talks about is um, uh, music prior to the hip hop movement, um, the music of people like Sam Cooke, which was which wasn't only about um, which wasn't only about reinforcing uh, uh, the position of African Americans, but offering alternatives for um, African American communities. And the uh, other reason why I chose this song is because it was actually the song that Spike Lee chose for the end, for the last scene in the um, in the in his very famous film Malcolm X, which of course is a very um, uh, popular and important African-American story about change through literacy and through the conversion of Islam and rejecting um, and rejecting uh, white capitalism. So, so I, I wanted to share a song that I think offers an alternative to the hip hop music and also is steeped in a, in a tradition of, of black power movements. <laughs>
beautiful strains of Sam Cooke. A change is going to come. And I just got a text it on the text line, but I want to just holler at you and say it cuts off after Malcolm X and the Black Panthers. And I really want to hear what you have to say. So please take the second half of that message and resend it if you can. And if it's you know more than double that length, you might need to send three messages. Really do want to hear what you have to say. And my guest today on Out of the Box is Michael Muhammad Ahmad. He is a writer, editor, and he's the director of Sweatshop in Western Sydney. So it's a Western Sydney literacy movement. But um, you, you wanted to say something about Sam Cooke. Well, I, I, the re- what I wanted to quickly say is that um, so much of his life narrative is uh, parallel to the, to the narrative of Malcolm X. So they both died around the same time. They were both violently murdered, in fact. And um, I, I really, what I wanted to actually talk about is how, um, is how the, this particular song, which is about uh, change, but it's also about despair. It's about, I think it's also about love. And it's really, it's, it's blue. I mean, you know, in the tradition of the blues. And so I think that when, when Bell Hooks talks about alternatives, our music that alt- offers alternatives, what we hear here is, um, is a, a, a quite a deep, soulful um, uh, communication to, to the listener, which is asking you to go further than just the status quo. And uh, I, I, you know, in support of Spike Lee's film, because I don't think it's the best film ever made. I think the autobiography of Malcolm X is a much more important document than the film. But I think that um, Spike Lee was very, um, was was being very pre- precise by choosing that particular song um, as uh, Malcolm X's final walk to uh, to his to the place where he would eventually be assassinated. Mm. So we have another song to take, and it's by Tracy Chapman. And can I just ask you, what, what, did, what was your young life like? What did your parents do for... Um, well, my family migrated to Australia in uh, 1970, uh, both sides, in fact, my mum's side and my dad's side. Um, my dad was a, a very young when he came here. He's only about seven years old. So what was happening in the 70s in Lebanon? Uh, well, that was actually... We, my family actually got out before the Civil War. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of tension brewing and uh, this is the case for a lot of Arab Australian families is that they they came to Australia either r- right before the Civil War or during the Civil War and uh, for, for obvious reasons. And so uh, my, my family were a very, uh, very working class, in fact, welfare family. And my um, my grandfather and my dad's father passed away when he was 47, had a heart attack in the living room. And so my grandmother was left with her eight children um and wow and so most of the kids left school largely illiterate my my family still today most of them are illiterate and um and went into the workforce that's really interesting because i mean you you're the director of a literacy movement in western sydney are the are the two connected Absolutely. is that a silly question <laughs> no no it's a it's a it's right on the, the it's the it's the hammer on the head isn't it that yeah. um the absence of literacy in my family and seeing the way that lacking literacy disempowered them throughout their lives and made it difficult for them to think critically and to change their situations which is actually the the Malcolm X narrative is that he was able to change his life rad- radically because in jail he uh, he learned how to read and write and so uh, for my family seeing the uh, the lack of literacy and the disempowering nature of that and then also for me as a as a as a very educated human being now and the way literacy was able to um, was able to em- empower me and bring give me, me out of my disadvantage, yeah. give me options, but also em- enable me to think critically and consciously about my environment and then giving me the, the tools to respond to that. 
um, was fundamentally why we, we why I and my peers established Sweatshop. Um, just to just to let you know that most um, uh, movements that have been about freedom and justice have been connected with mass based literacy programs, and so that's where our um, our model comes from. It's from a very rich tradition of literacy movements. Can you give us an example of a, a couple of those literacy movements that you're talking about? Well, absolutely. Um, I, sorry, I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but uh, my 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 thesis is looking at the narrative and the, the life struggle of Malcolm X. His um his his narrative is known as a conversion narrative. So I'm talking about the autobiography of Malcolm X, and the specific type of conversion narrative it is is a education narrative because his whole life story is about how through education he was able to um, to have radical changes and make radical decisions which impacted him and millions of people around the world and he categorically charts his intellectual development through literacy in his autobiography so that would by far be the best example that I can think of um, going back to this discussion of my my childhood so you know we as a working class family and prior to being working class being a, 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 a largely impoverished family um, my brother and I spent a lot of time you know working with my dad at, at his shop helping him and it was a great joy in our lives there's no there's no um, there's nothing um, that is sad about that so what kind of stuff did you help with around in the shop well, uh, we, we, we spent our afternoons after school um, with my dad. We spent our weekends and our school holidays working with him, helping him. Uh, it was a great joy. And obviously, my father's been able to reciprocate that help because now my father's in, helped, supported my brother and I to start families of our own and, you know, have homes of our own. So there is a there, there was a it's a kind of a traditional migrant working class ethic that we shared with our father. Mm-hmm. But um, but for me in particular, I. Uh, I, uh, my brother would stay at the shop, even though he was very young. He was only, uh, you know, seven or eight when he started. But he would stay at the shop, look after the shop, and I would uh, usually be on the road with my dad, going to the different suppliers where his um, um, that that he that he got stock from for his for his small camping business, which is still around. If anyone's interested, <laughs> on um, Canterbury Road in Lakemba, and um, let him know that um, that you heard Muhammad on the radio, and I'm sure my my dad Jeff and my brother Ali will give you a discount. <laughs> but um, but having said that, uh, for my, for me, I, I'd spend a lot of time on the road with my dad, and uh, he liked to listen to the classic radio station. So Tracy Chapman was always on, and um, her song "Talking About a Revolution" was uh, really embedded in my memory. And I, I, of course, she sings about those struggles for minority and and welfare communities. And I'm able now, consciously and critically, to look back on where I where I came from, where I started, and where I am now, and make those direct links. And I, I might just share an anecdote about um about the kind of work my brother and I were doing with my dad and the kind of rewards we got. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm uh, an ex boxer. I never use never use drugs. Never drink alcohol. Don't smoke. So I stay away from all that that stuff. But the the my vice is that I really love junk food. I love McDonald's, and <clears throat> as a um, and I think that that positive reinforcement of McDonald's started when I was working with my dad in his warehouse in Botany, um, almost twenty years ago. And my dad would tell us that if you if you work hard, uh, loading the van for for the for the weekend markets, for example, and you sweat you'll get McDonald's, but it's on the condition that you have to sweat. You have to work so hard that you sweat and the treat will be McDonald's. And I I worked very hard. Um, my brother was bigger and stronger than me, so he probably 
could do more work, but uh, we were probably working at the same level of, um, of enthusiasm. But no matter how hard I worked, I couldn't sweat. And so I'd start to panic that my dad wasn't going to give me, um, you know, my Happy Meal. And so whenever my dad would turn his back, he'd, you know, he'd be on another, in another side of his warehouse, which was predominantly filled with secondhand stock. Um, my brother would quickly say to me, which means close your eyes in Arabic. And then I'd close my eyes and he'd go, and he'd spit on my forehead. And so, um, and then he'd quickly smear it on. And then my dad would come back over and he'd feel my forehead and he'd look at Ali and he'd go, yes, just. Um, mix, uh, mistaking the saliva, my brother's saliva for my sweat. And I, you know, I think at the time we took my dad very seriously. We never called his bluff. I'm sure he would have bought me McDonald's anyway. But, um, but certainly I was taught that um, the, the great joy of uh, a cheeseburger um, because of how hard I worked for it. <laughs> and and I you know I think during that time, really uh, we were setting we were my my father and my brother and our and our ethic was setting the um, the path for what I would inev- inevitably become, which is a person who really wants to see young people um, in Australia, particularly those who identify as marginalised, empowered through literacy and critical thinking. And um, we should we should speak about what Sweatshop does a little bit. Actually, can you just talk a little bit about how Sweatshop does that how how it is a literacy movement that's effective well so much of it is based on self-determination uh getting people from within the community to work with uh, a younger generation because it, it's it's not enough to just be uh teaching people to read and write and think critically even though that is fundamentally what we're about uh you can people can be as literate as possible if they're not getting employed if they're not getting a, a chance in the industry to work getting published then um then yeah. the cycle continues and so largely these kinds of models for empowering people through literacy is usually a colonial model where people from more affluent more privileged communities are coming in and trying to save you know the uh the, the refugee kids or, you know, the um, the Aboriginal kids. And so Which that's, work, that's not necessarily a bad thing, are you saying? I think there are definitely examples. There's always exceptions to, um, to the rule. And so there have always been historically good examples of people out from outside of communities coming in. Um, but, but we have also seen plenty of research that shows that the most empowering experience for a community is the experience of self-determination because you can't pre-package someone's liberation and give it to them. They, it's the journey and then them doing the work themselves that actually gets them out of that disadvantage. That was certainly the case for me is doing the work myself and learning the skills to be able to do that work. So we're about giving minority communities the tools and getting them to tell their own story. So can you just get involved with Sweatshop if you want to, just straight off the bat? Every single person in Australia is welcome to join us. Yeah. And what we're, really, what we're really focused on is matching up people to do the work with with a community that is that they can actually make a connection with. So um, most all of the women's projects that are set up with Sweatshop are run by women, for example, and um, all of the uh, the indigenous projects are run by indigenous artists that we've worked with. That's um, a great idea. All of the um, the LGBTIQ commun- uh, projects are, are run by people within the LGBTIQ community, and then we also look at the intersections, the way. Uh, you know, Arab Australian women might have a connection with Arab Australian men. And so in some ways, it's always okay for me as an Arab Australian men to work with Arab Australian women. In in other ways, non-Muslim women sh- sh- can be working with Arab Australian women because they, they, yes, they so share it's gender. Not, it's, not, it's complex. It's not terribly segregated in Absolutely that sense, not. but you it's do have segregated. a mentor, which yeah. is important. And it's and also we, about finding a way in. Yeah. Is there anything that you have coming up with Sweatshop that people should know about? 
Well, um, um, e- there is a, a number of things and the way to f- uh, find out about all the activities that Sweatshop is uh, involved in is to check out our website, uh, www.sweatshop.ws, WS being for Western Sydney. And, um, and you can also like us on Facebook, which you can find on our Sweatshop uh, page. You can get my email address. And uh, you know any kind of um, collaboration um, or any type of support that we can offer you uh, in regards to literacy um, is available to you. We're based at the University of Western Sydney. Awesome. All right, we've got time for one last song, and it's Talking About a Revolution by Tracy Chapman, one which Muhammad, Michael Muhammad Ahmed was driving around to with his dad when he was a young kid with spit all over his face. Gross. <laughs> and a belly full of Maccas. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds Don't you know we're talking about a revolution It sounds like a whisper While they're standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know talking about a revolution It sounds Gonna rise up and get their share. Poor people gonna rise up and take what's there. Don't you know you better run, 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 Out of the box. <laughs> Out of the box. On FBI.